This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On September 8th, 2015, the first episode of Set Listing Bruce was released. To celebrate our anniversary month, I plan to put out a new episode every day this month. During this month, I would like to share feedback from my listeners. If you have any thoughts, questions, or comments for me or any of my guests, please send me an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail at 469 249 2442. If you're not part of our Patreon group, please think about supporting the podcast by making a small monthly donation. Everyone who joins gets a personal thank you card from me and a Set Lusting Bruce sticker. Depending on your level, you can get early access to episodes and unedited videos of my discussions with guests. If you haven't rated the podcast before, please go to wherever you get your podcast and leave a rating, hopefully five star, and let people know why you love the podcast. Hope you enjoy this month of episodes, and now on to the show. So it's not like I missed out on it, but a big one for me, a big one for me was Meatloaf, actually. Yeah. That was a big one for me, and that's when you're like... And, I really got to listen to him more in high school before Bad Out of Hell 2 came out. And I was listening to Bad Out of Hell 1 during a road trip with my father and my sister. And, and we were listening to it. And I had already known Paradise by the Dashboard Light. That was the okay, main thing sure. that I had heard. But then I listened to Bad Out of Hell, the actual the title track for the first time. And I was mesmerized by it. I was just like, this is awesome. And, and I fell in love with Jim Steinman's writing. That was my big thing because okay. I love the good bombastic type of over the top type of songs. I love mm. that sort of feel to it. And so, of course, when you have Jim Steinman and Andrew Lloyd Webber teaming up to do a kiss is a terrible thing to waste. My head just practically exploded with that. It was just like it's so wonderfully bombastic and over the top and orchestral. And then you have Meatloaf doing the over the top singing. And it was just so much fun to listen to. And it was just like, yeah, the lyrics are goofy as hell, but it's Jim Steinman. Of course, they're going to be goofy as hell. <laughs> you just have to you. But you ride with it because you don't care because you're having fun with it. That's the main that's the main hook for me when it comes to a lot of music. It's got to have some fun to it and it's got to have that sort of bombast. And I think that's probably why I gravitated to Queen so much, because they also have that same sort of arena feel to them.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train today, but I'm sure he will come up as he often does. I have a fellow podcaster who this is his second trip on the podcast. We were just talking a couple of years ago after the end of the national uh, yeah. po- national podcast post month challenge. That's it. it. Yes, <laughs> that George had done and we were on doing a wrap up. So I'm thrilled to have you back, George. Welcome to Set Lusting Bruce. Thank you so much for having me back, Jesse. This was a lot of fun the last time we spoke, and I am looking forward to even more fun this time. Yeah, so tell us about yourself. All right. I am an international best-selling author. I am the author of the Young Adult Science Fiction Trilogy, Excelsior. It's actually the Excelsior Journey is what the whole trilogy is called. I have two books that have been completed of that trilogy, Excelsior and Ever Upward. Part three, Greater Glory, is currently in the works, and all three of them are going to be released through the publisher of Ronan Weatherford Publishing Associates. I'm very excited about that, especially since they have said that the first book only will be released when part three is finished. So I love the fact that they're keeping me motivated and keeping me accountable to that and not just letting me coast on books one and two. I am nice. also a pod- yep, I'm also a podcaster. I am the host and producer of the Excelsior Journeys podcast. It's a weekly interview show that puts the spotlight on all different types of creatives and allows them the chance to share their personal journey to success. And it has also been, it's, I've been doing that show for over 200 episodes now. It's been an absolute blast. I have since co-founded the Once Upon a Podcast Network with, with two other podcasters, Stacey Rourke and Sandra Shear for Zachary. And we have, we have just, just announced the start of the ninth show on the network, which starts on the Sunday before Labor Day. And it's called Audio Drama Sunday Theater. It is a show that is all about the celebration and the promotion of the audio drama. And um, so I am really excited about that, especially because the first part that the first uh, installment that will be released is the audio drama adaptation of the first Excelsior book. It was done this past March over on Clubhouse. And I am just so thrilled with how it came out. This was with a full cast, with sound effects, with a musical score. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And now I get to stream it live, get to put it out there for for the whole world instead of just the select few listeners that were there on the Clubhouse app. Yeah. And, you know, George, one of the things it appears you're passionate about when we had talked before and in our pre-meeting and visiting is you love storytelling and audio storytelling, don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's something that's been a part of my life since I was a kid. That's always been something that I've really gravitated toward. Where do you think that love came from? Really, just my first real taste of it was when I was when I was a kid, about five, six years old. And I got these, the storybooks for, there were like little storybook adaptations of different movies and they had a little cassette with them. And then it would have someone reading the book along with you. And I had all three Star Wars books. I had the Raiders of the Lost Ark storybook. I had the E.T. storybook. 
And that one was really interesting because it was read by Drew Barrymore as Gertie. So it was really fun. And one of the things that, that I got to do when I was, when I was six years old, my cousin who has passed away in 2005, but he was, he was about two years old around this point where he was diagnosed with Wilms tumor, which is a cancer of the kidneys that affects children. Okay. And he was dealing with his chemo and with his recovery and everything. And he was in the hospital the whole, for the whole time for his whole treatment. And he had asked if I could take those storybook cassettes and make a copy of them for him. And I thought I'll do one better. And I recorded myself reading those storybooks and it was so much fun. And I felt really into it. I just went all in on the performance of that. And I was in first grade. So somehow that was able to translate well to what I was doing there. And that just became something that I always loved to do. So when I was a kid, when I was growing up, I had a little cassette recorder and I just record random things with my friends. And, and it was just a fun thing to do as time went on. And so I always really gravitated toward that and talk radio was big for me. And then, and then I got the first, my first full on audiobook was an abridged version of enterprise, the first story. It was like one of the earlier Star Trek novels. I remember that novel. Yeah. The Vonda McIntyre did. And yeah. George Takei narrated it. And with little segments that were narrated by Leonard Nimoy. And I was so into it. And I was just like, this is great. This is so much fun. And I was so like into it from the start. So that became something that I truly loved. Like I would get the, the, audiobook ad- adaptations of The Godfather, which is a huge bunch of cassettes and, mm-hmm. and it was with a full cast and and then listening to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and just getting right. into those and all of those things. It was just like the audio version of storytelling for some reason, it just connected with me so well to a point where I would actually record audio from movies and I would listen to that while I slept and mm. it just eased me off to sleep. And I would do that as, as early as, as late as high school. I would do that. Wow. Okay. So you touched a little bit of growing up, but share with me where you grew up and you've already talked about how much you love stories. How about music? Was there a lot of music in the house? There was actually, yeah. When my family and I would take our trips over to see my grandparents on my mother's side or down in, in Secaucus, New Jersey, from since we lived in Poughkeepsie, New York, we would go from Poughkeepsie down to Secaucus, which is usually like a little over an hour. Um, there was always music playing. When first in our original car, we had our we had the eight track player going. So we had that was where I was introduced to Queen. There was, we had the eight track of Queen's greatest hits and I fell in love with that group very quickly. And they still are to me, like the, my all time favorite group. And, but we would, we would listen to a whole lot of different stuff. Springsteen was definitely among the listens, especially when the born in the USA album came out. That was something that was listened to quite a bit. There was, once we switched over to cassettes, that's when things really took off and we were able to finally upgrade our stereo to a cassette deck instead of an eight-track deck and then things really took off but yeah there was a lot of springsteen a lot of billy joel a decent amount of elton john not as much as i remember i think i i picked i picked up elton john more as i was growing up um 
But like my father still had like albums from him and everything. So it's not like I missed out on it. But a big one for me, a big one for me was Meatloaf, actually. Yeah, that was a big one for me. And that's when you like and I really got to listen to him more in high school before Bad Out of Hell 2 came out. And I was listening to Bad Out of Hell 1 during a road mm-hmm. trip with my father and my sister. And, and we were listening to it. And I had already known Paradise by the Dashboard Light. That was the okay, main thing sure. that I had heard. But then I listened to Bad Out of Hell, the actual the title track for the first time. And I was mesmerized by it. I was just like, this is awesome. And, and I fell in love with Jim Steinman's writing. That was my big thing because okay. I love the good bombastic type of over the top type of songs. I love mm-hmm. that sort of feel to it. And so, of course, when you have Jim Steinman and Andrew Lloyd Webber teaming up to do a kiss is a terrible thing to waste. My head just practically exploded with that. It was just like it's so wonderfully bombastic and over the top and orchestral. And then you have Meatloaf doing the over the top singing. And it was just so much fun to listen to. And it was just like, yeah, the lyrics are goofy as hell, but it's Jim Steinman. Of course, they're going to be goofy as hell. (laughs) You just have to you. But you ride with it because you don't care because you're having fun with it. And so that's the main that's the main hook for me when it comes to a lot of music. It's got to have some fun to it and it's got to have that sort of bombast. And I think that's probably why I gravitated to Queen so much, because they also have that same sort of arena feel to them. And I think that's probably the main thing. It's like arena rock, something that's going to reach out to the balcony levels. Sure. Uh, I think the upper tiers, I would say those that's the kind of music that I really respond to that just it gets me juiced. It wants me to just get up and get the fist, get the fist pumping and everything. It's a lot of fun, I think. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey everybody, I'm Mike. And I'm Jesse. I'm Aaron. And all together we are the Punk Tree. 
on the show, we're going to share music that we love. We're going to discuss how punk rock has evolved and different subgenres have developed. We're going to talk to bands that have been influential in shaping the music industry and our lives. Sometimes we challenge each other to dig into bands and subgenres that we may not be into on our own. We're a proud partner of the Pantheon Podcast Network, and you can find us across all platforms and on social media at The Punk Tree. We have a really great time talking about music and life with each other, so please join us. Everybody says they want a million bucks, but I'd rather have a million days. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So if a lot of times people will say it's the lyrics that move me or the rhythm or the... And so it sounds like to you, a lot of it is the energy. This gives you that energy. It gives you that drive. Is is it part of your writing routine to have this energy going? For a lot of songs, yes. It's okay. uh, I can because I'm also a huge film score collector. Uh, the okay. first piece of music that I really remember hearing is the John Williams Overture to Star Wars, mm-hmm. and so that became an integral part of my life. Film score collecting, film score listening, just film score absorbing. More than anything. Mm-hmm. I am I am grateful to my family that whenever we sit down for dinner, I get to put on Pandora and I get to put on my film scores radio channel. And they actually they're I'm grateful that they let me do that they let me put that on so I can have that as background while we eat. And because mm-hmm. no one's gonna there's no reason to put on the TV for anything else because we're all sitting over at the opposite from it. We're sitting over at the the dining room table. So why not just have something that we can hear? And and so that's something that I really respond to. So anything like with a good, like good, strong orca- orchestra, real that really gets me hyped up. Especially when I remember when 20 years ago, when the first Pirates of the Caribbean film came out and I'm listening to the score as it's playing out and I'm just like, who the hell did this? This is mm-hmm. awesome. I want this album. I really want this album. I want it now. And I remember I had to wait like about two weeks or so for it to come out. And it was the longest two weeks of my life at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What Have you got some thought about your love of this three-act, this arena, theoret, I can't talk, very theater, <laughs> the mind, yeah. yeah, theatrical, along with your love of audio drama. Do you think that's just because it hits some of the same needs in you? Probably, actually, because because there is a lot of there's a lot of scoring that I like to do for my stories. Okay, when I'm trying to come up with a really fun scene or a really powerful scene or whatever, I will listen to certain albums 
and I'll just let it go. Just listen in and everything, just absorb it and see where it can take me. And for the latest book that I'm working on, Greater Glory, there are so many moments that have already come to mind that are crystallized in my head because of the music that I heard at that specific time. And so I'm just like, okay, like I have this whole scene completely mapped out done to this piece of score. Like there is uh, there's a piece in the, the score for the third Transformers film, Dark of the Moon, that Steve Jablonski did. And he did a fantastic job on that one. And there's a piece in there called It's Our Fight. And as I was listening to it, I was just like, I could see the buildup for the climax of that story just coming to life in front of me. And I was just like, this is it. This is awesome. And now I got to like, and now I got to hopefully get my writing to match that energy. And, and then I listened to the next piece called I'm just a messenger. And it was just, and it got even more like it fit perfectly right for that second half. And so it really is something about being able to just close your eyes and just Listen to what is there, what's in front of you, what's around you, and just let it and let it in. And it will create an amazing experience if you just let it happen, if you just let yourself live in that moment. And George, it I, I love that, right? The idea, right? To open yourself with your senses and to hear that and see where the music takes you see where your the it leads your imagination it leads your creativity oh yeah exactly uh-huh. yeah exactly that's cool you talked about loving audio dramas and playing that but were you always a storyteller i think so i was always a storyteller in some way okay. i was either i started out in i started out acting more than anything i was in a drama club when i was in grade school And after a period of stage fright that I went through from seventh grade to 10th grade to 11th grade, actually, I was just not in a good place in my head. The only thing I had was my writing. Okay. And that was, that came from these characters that I created in grade school and just kept picking at them and picking at them. And then finally, when I moved from Poughkeepsie, New York in 88 to Richmond, Virginia, and I was there for about six years, but I was there for the last two years of middle school and all four years of high school. So those are real formidable years. Sure. Years that make you get you not quite fully launched into what you are. Like I, it's definitely like college and beyond what does that. And in a lot of cases, we're still growing. Hell Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm next year is my 30 year high school reunion. And I'm still, I'm still evolving from where I was back then. But I was acting and I was also writing. But then and then when I got back on the stage in 93 and just broke that stage fright. And funny enough, it was from something that I wrote that I got to actually like break that stage fright and get myself back on that stage where I felt like I belonged. Mm -hmm. That's when everything really the floodgates opened. Then all of a sudden, like the next year, I got not only a lead role in the school play, but I got two other roles on top of that. And just doing like all this other stuff and taking and allowing myself to really grow. I won the faculty medallion for drama that year, just when I graduated. So it was just like, it was an amazing feeling, just like 
the acting, but then also holding on to that writing. And then the more I went on, I felt like the writer in me really the actor in me. Okay. And then it just became more than anything. It became the writing, but the acting was always there. And so that's that. So that led me eventually to audiobook narrating. And I've done over 15 audiobooks now with two of them being my own. And it's a wonderful privilege to be able to do that. And it's an honor to do that, to bring someone else's book to life the way that other people's books coming to life in audio form is what inspired me as a storyteller. Now I get to do the same thing for other people. And, and then that led to podcasting. And now all of a sudden, I'm not only able to tell my stories through my own platform, but I have other people come on to tell their stories. And so there's always that feeling of being a storyteller in some way, shape or form. I'm either telling my own stories as an author, telling my own stories as a podcaster, telling about my own real life experiences, or I'm letting someone else tell their stories, or I'm telling someone else's stories through the audiobook narrating. It's always there. Storytelling has always been there in some way, shape or form. Do when did you decide you wanted to write a book? That was really, it's the Neanderthal version of that really started in ninth grade. Um, okay. And that was where I had spent like several years just writing my own stories in steno notebooks. And they were basically looking back at them. I look them as reverse fan fiction. Okay. They were just for me. And so I could do whatever the hell I wanted with them. So with fan fiction, you have someone else's characters, someone else's established characters put in, put in a, a new surroundings. What I did was I took my new characters and I ripped off every single movie and show that was around me. And I Tarantino'd like everything, like put it all like in a blender. And it came out as something that I knew exactly where every little element was, where I ripped it off, but it read original. So I just ran with that. And that became like my, my own little writing school in a way, just teaching myself what, how to do it. Looking back at it, I'm glad I'm not looking back at it because those steno notebooks are long gone. And I would just be like, I, I would just feel cringy. Just like, look at it. That. Sure. Because I, yeah. Because we, I like to think I've improved since then, but after, after college, I had been tinkering with this idea for what would be a video game concept. And it would eventually be my story called from parts unknown, which is, which is a story about, about a man who wants to provide a good life for his family by being involved in the, the last remaining sport in all of America, which is called the gladiatorial combat league. And he has no idea how corrupt the GCL is behind the scenes. And he has no idea that the head booker wants to turn a regular person into a monster in order to tear through the GCL ranks and then claim the title for himself. And so our hero is turned into this monster and it becomes a struggle to reclaim his humanity while also the sport itself is trying to, is trying to keep itself from losing its own humanity. And making this dark turn down to a place where everyone is basically expendable. 
and there are no real heroes to look up to because everyone is just getting either incapacitated or killed in the ring. And so it started out as a video game idea. And then I decided, let's see how it is as a treatment for a script. And I had written a couple of scripts in college as just as exercises. There's still one that I think has potential to go somewhere. The other one, the comedy that I did, absolutely not. Okay. Because it was already done much better as a 40-year-old virgin. Okay. Um, <laughs> but but um, but this other one, it was like, let's see how it is as a treatment for a script. And I wrote the treatment. Let's see how, how it is as a script. And then I wrote about, over the next few years, I wrote about 10 drafts of that script. And I even submitted it to a, a film festival up in New York City. And it, they gave it an award that they basically just needed to give it some sort of award because it was so out there. They couldn't really pigeonhole it as to anything. So they gave it an award called best futuristic drama. And so I was just like, all right, fine. It's an award. I'll take it. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And in one, I decided hell with it. Let's start writing the book. And so I spent over a year adapting that script into what would eventually be like a, a book that came out to about, 230 something pages and went ahead and self-published it. And this is 2002. So the Kindle does not yet exist. Amazon is just getting off its feet. And the only thing you have out there are these, God, these terrible companies like Ex Libris that would, they would want you to spend like over a thousand dollars or something like that on their platform that they would basically just spit out this book that you would have to charge 25 bucks for in order to make any sort of profit. Just a terrible packaging and terrible place to, to, to sign up for. I'm so glad I didn't do that because I found iUniverse instead. And they weren't all that much better, but at least they gave me a really good deal that made me want to say, oh, this is actually, this is actually manageable. I can make this happen. And I worked with a friend on a cover that we were okay with. We didn't really, neither of us was really too satisfied with it. We felt like it was good enough. And mm -hmm. it came out in November of 2002. And friends and family got copies and then it died. Nothing yeah. really came of it. I got the rights back in 2011 after I released the first Excelsior book in its first edition as a self-published book. And this version, when I looked through from parts, the book from Parts Unknown, when I got it back, in 2011, I realized I needed to give it a full overhaul. And so I completely rewrote it. And now in, in 2019, it was released as a five-part serial and okay. all five parts in one big volume. So it came out to like over 700 pages. So I did a whole lot of work with this because I I had to basically like re really build the world itself from the ground up. Sure. There was a whole lot of work that I needed to do with that. I'm so happy I did because now it's such, it's so much of a better story and it's so much more fun to read. And, and I owe a lot of that to a lot of the music that I was listening to at that time. Give me some examples of what music was, was motivating you. I was listening to a lot of hard rock, a lot of, a good amount of new metal. I would actually say that if I were to give, the give the the story a theme song it would be remember by disturbed okay um and so that was like the kind of energy i was going for with it definitely put in marilyn manson's fight song 
for one of the earlier fights in there. God, there were so many different pieces I was grabbing and just like saying, this would work for this, this would work for this, would work for this. If it were to expand into, say, a five-part miniseries, each part would open with a different song that would recap the events of the first part. Hey. Part, part two would start with, with a recap of part one using Fozzie's To Kill a Stranger. Part three would open with 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 a recap of part two doing uh, using believer by imagine dragons and part four would open with a recap of part three with the human by ragabone man and then part five would open with a recap of the end of part four with disturbs take on the sound of silence Mm -hmm. and then it would end the very the last part of it would end with uprising by muse okay so it's all just, it's all like right there during the last fight to where everything, where it's all down to these two guys, Submission and Vordekai for the GCL world championship. And it's Submission, AKA Steven taking his humanity back. That is done to rise by Disturbed. So there's a lot in there that's just, this piece would be great for this piece would be great for that. I had in mind a lot of WWE video packages. That's yeah. really like the sort of the thought feel of, that yes. I was going for. Yeah. Yeah. Those injured songs and that other things. Yes. That very exactly. nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you're writing books, you're loving video, audio dramas. Was podcasting just a, a natural next step? Podcasting really started in 2016. It's something that I've always been curious about. Okay. Uh, I really fell in love with the format of podcasting in 2011. That's where I was listening to a lot of Smodcasts with Kevin Smith. And then I found the Now Playing podcast. And so that became like my go-to for movie reviews. And that still is to this day. The guys behind Now Playing are fantastic. Arnie, Stuart, Jacob, Jason, all these guys, like Brock, like they're fantastic. They're And they're knowledgeable. They know what they're talking about. And the stuff that they that they give, the kind of conversations that they have, it makes you want to sit down and have a conversation and join in the conversation with them because you can keep up and it's fun to listen to. And so that's something that I find really fascinating. And so the more I was listening to them, the more I was really getting into the format overall. And then in 2016, I was invited to come on a podcast over here in St. Louis on a show called Right Pack Radio, which several of my friends were on. And it was a roundtable show of different writers talking about different topics that would be brought up each week. And one time there was a discussion about audiobooks. So they brought me in because I was just really started. I was really revving up with audiobook experience. I had already done a few and I was, I felt like I was getting a good grip on it. And then all of a sudden I became a bit of an authority here in the area. And so I had spoken at different, different conventions about audiobooks and, and really had a lot of fun getting into more of the details about the DIY segment of it. And when I did, when I finished that episode, uh, the producer, David Lucas asked everyone, does anyone have any objections to George just becoming a member of the right pack? And no one did. And so for almost um, about two years, I was going up to David's place every week and there was always a new topic and it was always yeah. a lot of fun. And it was just a, a lot of fun to really get into that. 
And then around mid the middle of 2018, that was when I took a look at, at my Facebook list, my Facebook friends list. Yeah. And I saw all these really creative people that were all doing their own thing and they were not letting their full-time jobs get in the way. They were not letting any restrictions or, any, or budgetary issues or anything like that get in the way. They were just right. doing it. They were making it happen. Whatever they needed to do, they were going to make it happen. And I was just like, they this needs to be celebrated. These people are amazing. They need to be celebrated. People need to know what they're doing because no one knows who they are. Or if they do, it's a very small amount of people. They're localized. They need to get out there and they need to get on a podcast. And then a few okay. months later, it became, okay, they need to be on my podcast because yeah. it was just like, I guess I'm going forward with this. And again, credit to David for helping me figure out what I was going to call this show because I had no idea what it was going to be. I had no idea what I was going to call it. And he looked over my shoulder and he saw my banner of that showed my book cover. And he goes, why not call it the Excelsior journey? And I looked yeah. at it. I was like, Ooh, that works, but let's tweak it. Let's call it Excelsior journeys because everybody's got their own. And then yeah. it became, and then I reached out to the cover artist who had done the first two covers from my previous publisher, who was brilliant, Molly Phipps. And I uh -huh. said to her, I need artwork for my podcast. And this is what I want. And she created something that fits the first two covers perfectly. And it was just like on the first try, she nailed it. I was like, that's it. Yeah. And so it was here, 50 bucks. There you go. Sold. Boom. And it was mine. And all of a sudden it just, I, I never stopped. I, I do have to refrain from that though, because I did stop from 2019 to June of 2020. We had moved into a new house and I was, I felt overwhelmed at that point. I was, I had started a new job a few months earlier and I just wasn't, I, I didn't feel the urge to get behind the mic again. I felt like I had gone as far as I could. I got about 30 episodes of it and everything. I did experience some pod fade, mm -hmm. but then, and this is from, and this is during the time that I had also done the first round of what would eventually become from duck till dark outside the Marvel studios, my second go around doing the national podcast post month challenge. I, that might've actually done a good amount of damage in terms of wearing me out because sure. having to do 30 shows in 30 days and to keep up with that schedule and everything, it, it can be grueling. Um, it really can. It, yeah. it really is tough. I've done it a couple of times. June, I did a, I did 30 episodes in 30 days just because I had a huge backlog of episodes. Nice. I had just been yeah. really lucky with a lot of people wanting to see me, talk yeah. to me. So I to try to catch up. So you talk about it's an interview podcast. How do you pick your guest? What um, are you looking for in a guest? A lot of the people is just basically, are you working to make your dream come true? Are you working to, to fulfill your passions no matter what? And, and also... Another thing that I look for is, were you someone who inspired me while I was growing up? Okay. Because a lot of, because that led me to invite on a lot of people that I never thought would be on there. And I was hosting for the, I spoke with Flint Dilly, who was a story consultant on Transformers, the movie. And okay. I spoke with him in 2020 and we talked for about two hours. We could have kept going. Like it was yeah. so much fun to get to talk to him. And 
And it was me just, just throwing caution to the wind and reaching out and inviting him on. He had his book coming out. It was a chance to promote his book. He said, yes. And we That's did cool. it. And then it was just like, okay, this works. And then it came, then came the idea next year is the 35th anniversary of the movie. So why don't you come back and I'll dedicate all of August to talking about the movie. And he, and I not only got him on, but I got the original screenwriter, Ron Friedman to come on. Nice. I got the music composer, Vince DiCola. He mm -hmm. came on. I had five voice actors all on one panel with me together. Like it was amazing. I got to talk with, and I told everyone, I said, everyone keep your mics on because whatever you want to chime in with, by all means do it. I want this to feel like you guys are at a Comic-Con panel. Sure. And, and it was the first time that the narrator, Victor Caroli from not only from Transformers, the movie, but he narrated the show. He narrated the commercials. And mm -hmm. this was the first time ever that he had ever shared any stage real or otherwise with other Transformers voice actors. It was the yeah. first time ever. And I will carry that torch till the day I die. So like it's done so much, for, so much amazing stuff for me. And it's also provided the means for a lot of other up and coming talent to come on and start talking about their shows, like about their films, their books, their stand-up comedy tours, their voice acting, their animating, their directing, their producing. Sure. I got to talk with Gilbert Adler, the producer of Tales from the Crypt. And yeah. we talked for over an hour. Like it was, it's been an amazing run doing this show. And yeah. Yeah, that's great, George. And I, I appreciate that. I'm curious. There's a lot of podcast networks out there. Yeah. So why what could what was the emphasis? Why did you decide that you wanted to start a network with your partners? And what's the theme of that? Tell me the name of the network and talk about what you guys are trying to do different with everything else out there, right? Well, what, oh, yeah. What I wanted to do was I wanted to create, and this was something that I had in mind for a while, and I've tried to start it up before, and then just nothing would come of it. Mm -hmm. But one of my partners, Stacey Rourke, she runs, she runs a weekend-long event, a, a bookseller's event called Once Upon a Book. And it's a huge event that was up in Michigan until this year. This was the last year that it was going to be there. And there was talk that was going to be the final once upon a book, okay. but she was able to make it, make it so that it would be set up in her hometown in Florida next year. The first once upon a book taking place in Florida will happen then. And she and I had known each other somewhat through those channels, through the indie booksellers channels. And we've spoken a few times and when we started talking about podcasts, she was really excited about doing that because she had her own podcast and she was talking about collaborating. And then I got mm -hmm. to listen to her podcast and everything. I thought, wow, this is really cool. It's a podcast called Mimesis. And it's all about finding the truth in behind all of these different films and television shows that have come out. I had no idea that Scream was partly based on a true story until I listened to that specific okay. specific episode. And just a really, just a really well put together show. And so I 
had this sudden idea while I was running some errands, I was pulling into the driveway and all of a sudden it just popped into my head and I sent her a quick Facebook message and I said, what do you think about this? The Once Upon a Podcast Network. And she writes back to said, oh my God, I love it. I love it. And then she brought her niece on board and her niece is very, very, very grounded in terms of development, of, of getting something really off the ground and making sure that it's worth everyone's while. And then we brought in a former guest of mine, Trisha Daniel, who okay. was, who's all about helping small businesses succeed through their accounting. And because money is helping small businesses succeed financially is a big passion of hers. And I was like, you're a CFO. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, and then up Stacy's friends, they all got different ideas for shows. And so they started coming on. I got a, a couple of ideas of my own that I was able to sit on for a little bit because I was really putting all my real creative focus into my own show. Sure. But I just love being there for these podcasters because what the show is, what the network is all about. It's a network by creatives for creatives. And so it's something that creatives themselves need to listen to because they will find something there that will, I have, uh, I've gone on record saying that, that this network is all about inspiring, motivating, celebrating, educating, and even rejuvenating creatives of all kinds. One of my friends, Melissa Hurt, someone from, that I have known since high school, she is doing this great show called The Genuine Creative. Okay. And it's all about it's all about dealing with all of the different things that creatives are plagued with. Anxiety, depression, perfectionism, imposter syndrome, procrastination, putting so much on our shoulders, like all this stuff. She has episodes that are based out of all of that, that are, that are based on all mm -hmm. of that. And it's because she not only has experience in that, but she is also a creative herself. She's also a writer. She's also an actress. And sh so she's dealt with both things. Like she's, she's also been a teacher. She's been, she's been someone who helps people deal with these issues. And so I just felt like I we need to have a show like this. We yeah. need to have a creative counselor kind of show. And she came on and has been crushing it ever since. I, I am so proud of the work that she's done on it. That's cool. That's very nice. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about, as we were discussing, that you had a few stories to tell about live concert experiences. So let's yes. take off your podcast hat, your rider hat, and let's put on your fan hat and tell me a little <laughs> bit about those live music experiences. Oh man. So I remember, so one of the, one of the, one of the most fun things that I remember was in March of 97, I was a junior in college and my father calls me up and this is like during a time that my sister was, was in town visiting. And so she was spending some time with my dad. And my dad calls me up and says, what do you have? What do you have going on Tuesday? I was like, Tuesday, I have work and then I have my class, but then I'm done like around 530-ish or so. But that's about it. Because I got tickets to Metallica over the Continental Airlines Arena. You want to go? I was like, okay, so my father got the Metallica tickets and invited me to go with him. <laughs> <laughs> like. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And we went and had the best time. 
Because the great thing is that like my dad got into Metallica listening to Load and Reload and then went back and started and then started discovering their old stuff. I start I got in into them from the Black Album mm-hmm. and hearing one on MTV and then going back and getting all the old stuff and everything and really falling in love with Master of Puppets. Like that became my favorite album of theirs. And then so we got to, so they played like a couple pieces from load and it got some decent reaction and everything. And then James gets up, gets on the mic and just said, here's some of our old stuff. And the rest of the concert, it's all the old stuff. And it was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. I wish that I was there. This was their cutting stunts tour. That was, that was the tour that they were doing. The very next tour that they would do was the S and M tour when they would collaborate with the orchestras of the region. And mm-hmm. I wish that I would have been there for one of those because I got to hear that concert from Madison square garden. K rock was nice enough to play the entire concert from start to finish. And it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. It was everything that I ever wanted right there because when I was a sophomore in high school, I listened to, I was watching MTV my grandmother was in town. She was using my bed. I was downstairs in the family room and I'm drifting off to sleep and I got MTV on and they start playing the performance of Aerosmith doing dream on from the MTV 10 year anniversary special. Okay. And they, it was backed up by an orchestra with Michael Kamen conducting it. And it was that it was just like, I sat up, I listened to it and I was just like, I need more of this in my life. I need that rock and orchestral merging. And it was magnificent. And I try, I, I spent that entire summer trying to record that piece. And one night I finally did when I just, I decided to hell with it. And I left the recorder playing mm-hmm. in just connected to the, to the TV and everything. And I just let it record and went to bed and I just kept on, no, it's not it. Fast forward. No, it's not it. Fast yeah. forward. And then finally, there it was. I was just like, yes, <laughs> it's the end of the summer, but I don't care. Like, I finally got it. And it was that sort of mix of like rock and orchestral became something that I always pursued. So I made like after I got the S&M album for Christmas from my dad, I got the Scorpions album, Moment of Glory. Sure. Which has an amazing rendition of Wind of Change with the Berlin Philharmonic behind it. And like that sort of stuff, like that mix of rock and orchestral completely does it for me. It absolutely does Mm -hmm. it for me. Yeah. One of my favorite concert memories was this was right one of the times where Brian Wilson had started touring by himself. Yeah. And he came to Dallas and they were going to do Pet Sounds Live. Ooh. And he was using the different orchestras in whatever oh. city. So it was the Dallas Dallas Symphony Orchestra backing yeah. up Brian on wow. Pet Sounds. And that that was beautiful, right? Oh. That hearing that music and is it's just very cool to see that. Yeah. That combination. Yeah, that's a great story. Oh, I yeah. love that. And I love that you and your dad got to bond over that. That's wonderful. 
that that was that was so much fun. And then about 10 years later, almost 10 years later, I got to finally see John Williams live in concert at, oh. at Lincoln Center. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I went there. We got some balcony seat balcony seats. I don't care. You're like sure. just being there was all was what it was all about. And it was a mix because the first act was a tribute to Bernard Herman. And so you have John Williams conducting to themes from North by Northwest and Psycho and Citizen Kane and, and Vertigo and all this great Bernard Herman music and Taxi Driver. And a big reason why they did Taxi Driver was because the whole first act was hosted by Martin Scorsese. Hmm. And he comes out and he tells like all these different Bernard Herman stories. And one of the things that he said was the last night that he worked with him on Taxi Driver, there was this one little three note uh, little blip that's played right at the very end of the score. And, and Martin's told Bernard Herman, just like it didn't work for him. Bernard Herman says, play them backwards. And then he went home and died. Like it was like, mm. was like wow. And of course, like he did it, he played it backwards and it worked. And so that act ends and then there's intermission and then it comes back in for act two. And then, you hear, you know, Maestro Williams comes out, orchestra starts, but it's just, it's just a low strings, just like an ominous little strings going. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you hear, da-da, da-da, and everyone starts laughing and the energy like just starts like going through the whole theater because all of a sudden we got the theme from Jaws coming and who comes out right after the theme from Jaws? Steven Spielberg. Oh, Very. And he comes out and he starts and he takes them through five different selections that he had. First one was the, a suite from Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Fabulous music. And then right. right at the very end, it builds so well that I felt myself getting choked up. Sure. And I'm just like, oh, man, if he plays E.T., I'm I'm going to lose it. If I'm getting choked up for Close Encounters, I will be a mess during E.T. That's yeah. There's no two ways about it. But then they played another piece from Jaws, and that was my only knock against the entire night because you already did the theme. Yeah. You want to do stuff that you and Spielberg collaborated on, fine. Then do Welcome to the Island from Jurassic Park. Sure. Really just to let that out because it was the piece where where Hooper, Quint, and Brody are on the Orca heading mm-hmm. off to sea. Sure. Great piece of music, but it's, we already got Jaws. So let's let's try it. Let's mix it up a little bit more. Then he plays a piece from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the first part of it. And he's got the a piece from the film to go with it. And so it starts off with just the, the film, no music at all. And Spielberg is narrating it as he's going. Sure. And to see what the power of it is, what 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 that scene is like without music at all. And then they replay it with the full score. And it's the whole River Phoenix sequence as young nice. Indy. Yeah. And and it was magnificent. It was just so much fun just like listening to it. It's a terrific piece anyway. And then it was just like, and then to hear it and the way that it was integrated into the movie, fabulous. Oh, that's um, awesome. And then he takes a turn, another turn. The theme from Schindler's List. Hmm. And it was like, ooh. Like I forget which violinist came out. It might've been Yasha Heifetz, but it was so good. And it was so amazing. And then of course 
He goes to E.T. And he's not just doing E.T., but he's doing the last 15 minutes of E.T. So it's got the escape from the house, then meeting up at the park, then the bike ride chase, then, then the bikes flying over the past the sun as it's setting, and then landing in the swamp. And then all of a sudden, like, I felt it. I felt like my chest getting heavy. I was just like, here we go. Just don't, just let it go. <laughs> just don't hold back. Just let it go. I am a bawling mess. I am like, I mean, they, my eyes are burning. I'm sure like my wife is looking at me. It was just, I'm at that point, she was just my fiance. So I'm just like, it's still in a year and a half. I still have time. <laughs> just, <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, it was, I I was a mess. I was falling and I could hear other people around me, the same thing. And really, if you're not feeling emotional during that whole sequence, especially when E.T. is saying goodbye to everyone, you're not human unless you're watching the 20th anniversary cut. Then, okay, You you have that. He is such a gifted composer. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, he has been the soundtrack of our movie lives. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, I can imagine that was a really cool treat. Oh, yeah. That was pretty sweet. And then, but then the great thing is it wasn't done yet because it finished. It was all finished and everything. Everyone's wiping their eyes. You have to at that point. And then he comes out and he does, conducts another piece from Amistad. Another very good piece. Yeah. It's a a smaller, it was either Amistad or Munich. It was one of those two. But it was like a more, it was definitely like a lower, lower level piece not as grandiose but then he says i'm sure that a lot of you are probably gonna by the time you guys get home you're gonna miss hearing this theme so i figure i might as well play it for you now and he conducts a theme to nbc nightly news mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just like all of a sudden everyone's laughing and and you yeah know, and they're and the mood is back up again and then he says, I want to thank you all for being here. And I know George Lucas w- would have liked to be here. And then you feel like this wave of energy coming up to everyone. It was just like, but I think he wouldn't mind if I played you this. And he turns around and bam, Star Wars Overture. Wow. And talk about a finale. Everyone was just like, was floored. Everyone is cheering now. Sure. And we were all just bawling our eyes out 15 minutes ago. And now all of a sudden we're all on our feet. He's like, taking you amazing. on a journey. It, he really does. Taking you on a journey, George. He really does, man. He really does. That's what music does. It does. That's what the, that's what the great. That's what the great music does. Yeah, we had a moment when this tour, Bruce is doing a few songs from his latest studio album, "A Letter to You," mm-hmm. and so we we're in Houston, and he came up and said, "I wrote this song over fifty years ago." And I still don't know what it's about, except he threw in a cuss word before. Oh, yeah. And he had there were three songs on the album that he had said that he had written in the early 70s. And if I was the priest, as far as we can tell, it had only been played once. And Mm -hmm. that was at a Columbia Records like party. Oh, wow like this small group people Mm -hmm. and that the only other time. And so when he started playing it, my wife was just like, why are you guys all with your face dropped? And my friends (laughs) were all like, Oh, I can't believe it. And 
afterwards, as we're leaving, the buzz, like, I can't believe. I can't believe he played if I was the priest. I, so, mm-hmm. yeah, that was just a really special moment for us. That's cool. That's very cool. That's very cool. And, sp- yeah. and speaking of Bruce, I know you had a couple of Bruce-related questions for me. Yeah. Yeah. So have you been able to see Bruce live? I still have not been able to see him live yet. I think my yeah. father's maybe seen him like, uh, I, I know he's seen him at least twice. Okay. I know one of my friends has seen him like a dozen times. Yeah. And yeah, like it's, it's I, I know that it's definitely on the list. I would love yeah. the opportunity to see him, but I'm, I am, I consider myself blessed that I got to see Elton John before yes. he retired and getting to see him, not only get to see him, but see him at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Like right after September 11th. That was, I think it was yeah. the first concert that was done at the garden after to the, after September 11th. And it was fabulous. Um, yeah. Um, I think anytime you can see a show at Madison Square Garden is pretty special. Yeah. Uh, I've never been able to go there. I ha- hasn't worked out yet. Um, my son, when we're talking about fantasies, I want to go see the Dallas Mavericks play there at Madison Square Garden. And then maybe Bruce could do a show like we could make this long <laughs> weekend out of it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. To try to get all those pieces yeah. to fall into place like a game. Yeah, of Franco. <laughs> exactly. Are there any Bruce songs that stand out to you that you do stay in your rotation? I would say so. I, there's okay. you know, there are quite a few. I I'm happy to have the greatest hits album and I like I yeah. do love listening to it. And really when I was finishing up my time at in New York before making the move to St. Louis mm-hmm. in 2011, one of the things that I made sure to do was go out karaoke with friends. So okay. I was doing like a like a three part a three part farewell party, really for okay. me because I'd been there for 17 years at that point. And the first part was at a backyard of one of my best friends who was the best man of my wedding all of us like our inner circle of friends it was a great time for all of us to do it and then there were then there were some people that i was working with that i knew wouldn't be able to join us for the big the really big blowout which was going to happen the very next week so we went out for karaoke and i made sure the last song that i sang was glory days <laughs> perfect yeah. yes it really, yeah. it just, it really put that stamp on, on the whole thing. And one of the things that I really enjoy doing for when I'm not overwhelmed with everything else I have going, but I'll splice in some different footage of something to a song, right. something that they did that. And they did that with Jerry Maguire. That's right. what really started the trend with Bruce yeah. doing that was a secret yeah. garden. Right. You know, right. So, and then they, did the same thing with Celine Dion and everything with my heart yeah. will go on. And I re- still remember Z 100 switching out the dialogue from Titanic and putting in dialogue from South park. And it was <laughs> just made it so damn funny. That um, is perfect. Yes. <laughs> and, but like what I did was I was making a mixtape of like a mix CD of, or basically like a playlist for the New York giants. That's okay. Growing up a giants fan and everything. Like that was one thing I, I had a lot of fun doing. Cause I always had, all of that footage, all the video footage and everything. So I took the playoff run from 1986, their 49 to three win against the 49ers and 17 to nothing over Washington. And I spliced in and I put in like a bunch of Pat Summerall and John Madden calls that they, they were being made, spliced it into born to run. Nice. And it fit perfectly. It was so cool. It was so much fun to do. 
And then I wound up doing like the same thing with another song, like it for the 1990 season and then the 2007 oh, nice. season and then 2011 season. They're like, it was fun. It was a fun thing to do. That sounds um, a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, but, but yeah, all those, like I, one of the, one of the really interesting stories I remember hearing, cause I also love like behind the scenes stories for all different things. Sure. And when, when the original cast of Saturday night live was rehearsing, and getting ready to do the 25th anniversary special. The show starts off with Bill Murray as Nick, the lounge singer. Yeah. And so it's Nick, it's Bill in like full form as Nick, like once again, and yeah. Paul Schaefer is there like at, at the piano and they were debating over what song they were going to use. And then Bill suggested Badlands. And then you know, like some, like one of the other writers just like, maybe it's this. And Paul just goes, no, it's Badlands. Exactly. Like, yeah. And yeah. And it, it fit perfectly. It's like it goes through like the whole routine and everything and then just picks up the last part of the song. And so and it just worked. It was just so much fun to listen to because he's going in like full on Nick, the lounge singer glory. Sure. But, but he's singing like this badass song and just and it's really just like becoming this great tribute to what they had gone through to yeah. get to where the show is now. And it's just like, yeah, that works. That's, That's awesome. That, that was the right call, Bill. Yeah, that it. yeah, well done. Well done. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Any final thoughts before we get to the Mary question, George? Oh. I'm just having a blast. I am, I am too. Just, I, I'm having a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun talking with you last time. I'd say it's even more fun this time. I feel like this this you got yourself a great niche. I really enjoy the show. Very and kind I, of you to say, and I and I'm excited that for what's to come because yeah, we need more music shows like this. Thank um, you, because 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 music really brings music brings people together in a way that few other things do. Yeah, I I really do, and I think as everything, there is so much strife and anger and negativity out there. I'm doing my little bit to bring a ray of sunshine. So thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Yeah, exactly. All right. So if you are a fan of George's podcast or his books or his radio dramas, and you are checking this podcast out for the first time, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Hope you check out some other episodes. But I end every episode with the Mary question. And what yes. that is, Jay Armstrong, who is a retired honors English teacher, but when he was teaching, he would give his high school seniors the lyrics to Bruce's song, Thunder Road. They would go through the lyrics together. They would talk about the imagery Bruce uses, the choice of words, the themes. And then he would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? So, George, that is yes. your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I was thinking originally she was. Okay. But then I, then I listened to it again and I reread the lyrics and everything. I say no. Okay. I say she does not. And the main thing is it's the 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 final three lines. So Mary climb in. There's that. Yeah. But then the very next line is it's a town full of losers. Basically just saying and then following it up saying and I'm pulling out of here to win. I'm pulling it not we're pulling out of here to win. It's yes. I'm pulling out of here to win. Which okay. means she shut the door and he's like, fine. It's a town full of losers and I'm pulling out of here to win and drives off. I love it. That's a great answer. 
Very yeah. good. All right, George, if someone wants to reach you and hear, find out about your books, to hear more about the podcast, where do they go? They go to my main site, which is www.hesgotit.com, as in by George, he's got it, which is the name of my own little production company. You will find the links to Excelsior Journeys there, but you'll also find more information about the Once Upon a Podcast Network, which I highly recommend checking out. Just go ahead and go to onceuponapodcastnetwork.com and you can go ahead and and take a look and introduce yourself to all of the shows that are there. And you can also subscribe to every single one. We have a great roster. I'm so proud of every one of them for showing up each week and and delivering something that they can be proud of. And I'm proud of them too. Um, that sounds so, great. Uh, yeah. I, I'm congratulations on the success. I hope you continue to get more. Any of them feel like talking music, send them my way, George. You got All it. right. That sounds good. All right. Thank you, George, so much for the time. This was a lot of fun. We will do this again. And oh, yeah. especially if you get to see Bruce live, I got to have you back so you can give me oh, a concert yes. report. Hell yes. Hell yes. Yeah. It's going to happen. I, I love it. All right, listeners. Go check out the podcast, go check out the website, check out the books. But for now, be kind, be safe, and we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts. Perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.